Today we conclude our brief series in the Psalms of Ascent. Over the past few months through our time in Revelation and Nehemiah, we have seen that the church is the new Jerusalem. The church is the heavenly city of God on the earth. And when we build her up, we are building up the new Jerusalem. Well, the Psalms of Ascent were songs that Jewish pilgrims would sing as they journeyed to Jerusalem for their annual feasts. And so because the church is the new Jerusalem, these psalms have a lot to teach us about the church, what it means to love her, what it means to build her up, what it means to seek her good. Today we are looking at Psalm 133, uh, but actually I want to begin with our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus travels to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples offer a number of different answers, and then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends Peter for this answer, but he charges his disciples not to tell anyone, not to reveal his true identity. And then he says, as it says in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Now, there are two things I want us to know and and keep in mind as we move into Psalm 133. Number one is that the word Christ means anointed one. When Peter says, you are the Christ, he is saying, you are the anointed one. And number two is that Caesarea Philippi was located at the base of Mount Hermon which is the mountain referred to here in Psalm 133. So in Matthew chapter 16, the anointed one is standing with his disciples at the base of Mount Hermon when he informs them that they will be going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Keep all that in mind. Matthew 16, the anointed one is standing with his disciples at the base of Mount Hermon when he informs them that they will be going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. All right, Psalm 133. You know, there's an obvious lack of harmony in our world today. We all see that. We all feel that. Whether it's war or bickering politicians or misinformation or disagreeing on how to respond to a pandemic or just interpersonal conflict, we're not very good at being unified. We don't really know the blessing of unity. But this this lack of harmony within our world presents the church with a unique opportunity. If the church were to be marked by unity, that would would seem to the world to be truly otherworldly. And as we will see, that's exactly what Psalm 133 describes. It's an otherworldly type of unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, so we are told that dwelling in unity is a good and pleasant thing, and then dwelling in unity is compared with two different things. Dwelling in unity is like oil poured on Aaron's head, And dwelling in unity is like the dew of Hermon. 
Now, my assumption is that neither of those things means all that much to you. You know oil and you know dew, and you probably agree that unity is better than the alternative. Um, But it's not clear to us why unity is being compared with oil and dew. Let's begin with oil. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. What is it like? It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. All right, who was Aaron? Aaron was the very first high priest for the people of Israel. And Aaron was anointed with oil by Moses. Moses poured oil on Aaron's head. In the book of Exodus, which we read from earlier, the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices, liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, cassia, and olive oil, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And the Lord commands Moses to, to blend the olive oil with a number of different spices to create something fragrant and pleasant, like a perfume. And then in verse 30, the Lord commands Moses to pour that oil upon Aaron's head in order to consecrate him. Now, to consecrate is to declare something holy. To consecrate is to set something apart for a holy purpose. Every person, place, or thing that is set apart for a holy purpose must first be consecrated, meaning it must first be anointed with oil. And notice, Psalm 133 describes the oil coming down from above. Throughout the Bible, anointing oil is closely connected with the Holy Spirit. Just as oil is poured out and sprinkled, so is the Holy Spirit poured out and sprinkled. The psalmist pictures the anointing oil being poured on Aaron's head and then running down his beard and then running down his garments. The consecration of Aaron begins upon his head, but the oil ultimately flows down upon his entire body. And this corresponds to the blessing that has been poured out upon us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And according to Colossians 1, Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Jesus as the head, but the Holy Spirit ultimately runs down upon his entire body. The Holy Spirit ultimately runs down upon the church, upon you and me. We have all received the same consecration as Jesus. We have all been anointed with the same Spirit. Okay, that's oil. Um, Let's talk about the dew of Hermon. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. What is it like? It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this is a reference back to Mount Hermon, which I mentioned earlier. And at the base of Mount Hermon was Caesarea Philippi which we read about in Matthew 16. Now, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, and it's covered with snow most of the year. In fact, there's a ski resort there today. However, Mount Hermon is over 100 miles north of Zion. Hermon is 100 miles north of Zion. So the journey from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem is a long journey if you're going by foot. So 
why does the psalmist describe the dew of Hermon falling upon the mountains of Zion? Well, the moisture from Mount Hermon is a major source of rainfall for the entire region. And the water from the melting snow is one of the primary sources of the Jordan River, which runs all the way down to the region surrounding Jerusalem, all the way down to the mountains of Zion. And so despite the fact that Mount Hermon and Mount Zion are distant from one another, the dew of Hermon really does travel south along the Jordan River to fall upon the mountains of Zion. Just as the Israelite pilgrims would travel long distances to reach Mount Zion, so does the dew of Hermon travel long distances to reach Mount Zion. Okay, but what do these things teach us about unity? I've got five things. Number one, unity is fragrant and pleasant. In the ancient world, to have a fragrant oil poured upon you was one of the palpable pleasures of the good life. And unity is like that. Unity is like a fragrant oil mixed with spices. Unity is pleasing to God. Unity is pleasing to us. Unity is pleasing to the world around us. We live in a world that's starving for brotherhood. We are well acquainted with war and wickedness. We are well acquainted with discord and death. But we know very little of true unity. And so the unity of God's people is a powerful form of evangelism. Unity is a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Number two, unity is costly. The oil poured on Aaron's head would have been incredibly costly to make. Olive oil mixed with myrrh and cinnamon and cane and cassia. The oil was precious, just like unity. It doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come cheap. If we really want to know the blessing of brotherhood, if we want to know the blessing of church as family, we're going to have to pay for it. We're going to have to work for it. We're going to have to foster it and practice it and treasure it. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to apologize. We're going to have to extend forgiveness. We're going to have to serve one another and outdo one another in showing honor and esteem others more highly than ourselves. It's a list of very easy things, right? No. Those are all hard things. And so, yes, unity is costly. Number three, unity is holy and distinct. When the Holy Spirit anoints the body of Christ, the result is unity, and there is nothing else like it in the world. In John 17, Jesus prays for the unity of the church, and he even says that Christian unity has the power to convince the world that Jesus is the Son of God. When we love one another, we forgive one another, and when we live at peace with one another, When all the churches in this neighborhood and in this city and in this nation and in the world are living in a a perpetual state of visible unity, we will exist as a living testimony to the identity of Christ. Number four, unity comes from above. Both the oil and the dew um, were, were symbols in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible talks about the Spirit being poured out and sprinkled upon the nations. And all of these blessings are depicted as coming down from above. In fact, the Hebrew word for down occurs three times in these three verses. The oil runs down and the dew falls down. And true unity is a divine gift that comes down from above. True unity cannot be built from the ground up. It comes from above. True unity is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is bestowed upon us. It is not something we contrive. And so we should all be fervently praying for unity. Number five, unity is a foretaste of eternal life. I'm going to read verse 3 again. Unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where has the Lord commanded the blessing of eternal life? The Lord has commanded the blessing of eternal life among those who dwell in unity. To taste true unity is to taste eternity, life forevermore. Life forevermore can be experienced today by those who dwell in unity. Think about it. In the age to come, right, our life together is going to be perfectly harmonious. And so for those who live in harmony today, eternal life has already begun. Think back to Matthew 16. The anointed one is standing with his disciples at the base of Mount Hermon, when he informs them that they will be going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They will be traveling from Mount Hermon to Mount Zion. The anointed one, the consecrated one, the fragrant one, will be traveling the same path as the dew of Hermon, from Caesarea Philippi, south along the Jordan River, and all the way to the mountains of Zion. And of course, he's going to be singing Psalm 133 as he goes. But why? Why is Jesus leading a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Again, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. So, like generations and generations of Jews before him, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice for sin. But he's not traveling to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. He is traveling to Jerusalem to be a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem in order to suffer and be killed for me. And for you. And now, like oil on the head, we are anointed, we are anointed with his anointing. And like the dew of Hermon, we are given new life. We are nourished and we are given new life. Like the oil and the dew, Jesus comes down to us as a divine blessing from God. And he and he forms us into a family. Brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. We have been united to God and we have been united to one another. And so there is no place 
There is no place for disunity or discord or dissension or division in our midst. If we are to be what Christ has made us to be, we must dwell in unity. We are told in Psalm 133 that the Lord commands this blessing. The Lord commands the blessing. Dwell in unity, says the Lord. And for those who obey that command, eternal life has already begun. And so let's pray for unity. It is a divine gift. It comes down to us from God by the Spirit. Pray for unity. But don't just pray. Also humble yourself and let go of your ego and repent and apologize and extend forgiveness. Serve others. Esteem others more highly than yourself. Love sincerely and live at peace. Because to belong to a community like that is one of the palpable pleasures of the good life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have commanded the blessing of unity. You command it for our good. Please send down your spirit upon us. Um, we all want to know the blessing of belonging to a community like that. Jesus, you are the anointed one. You are high and holy. And yet, you were humble enough to lead us on a journey to the cross. May we be a living testimony to your true identity as the Christ, as the Son of the living God. Holy, Holy Spirit, come down upon us. From the head to the body, equip us and lead us and inspire us with everything necessary to be a unified people today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.